Would you please turn again to Mark chapter 2. Mark's Gospel chapter 2. Now I wonder if you know what virtue signalling is. If you've ever heard the term virtue signalling. Something politicians get accused of when they get their picture in the news of them feeding the homeless or doing something good and they've made sure that everyone sees it. Or celebrities tweet about some good cause that they're supporting. They are signalling their virtue. And it's not just politicians and celebrities. We're all up to it. Most of us may not get our photo in the news or our tweets, if you're on Twitter, read by millions of people, but we have our ways of trying to show to the people who matter to us that we're good in some way. We have our ways of trying to persuade ourselves that we're better than others or have reason to feel superior to them. Virtue signalling is happening in so many of our words and our actions And it spoils so many things. And so Mark has good news for us. Well, actually, the Mark's gospel begins, doesn't it? Chapter 1, verse 1, with the beginning of the gospel. And that word means good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And one of the ways it's good news is because it shows a radically different way from all the virtue signalling that goes on around us and within us. It frees us from that continually trying to prove ourselves to be good. And you find this from wonderful words of the Lord Jesus in chapter 2, verse 17. Mark 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Last week's sermon was like a plane flying over the whole of Mark 2 and just looking at the major features of the landscape below as we went across the whole chapter at speed. This week is like landing the plane in verse 17 and just looking at immediately where we've landed. We're just going to be in this verse 17. So let's hear these wonderful words of Jesus in Mark 2, 17. First of all, we have good news for sinners. This verse is here to be encouragement for sinners. It is not here as a call to beat yourself up, what a bad person I am, and churn over in your mind how bad you are. There is a place for that. God does tell us to be sorry for our sins. The Bible does expose how bad we should feel about ourselves if we're failing to repent, to turn from our sins. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Here he has words of encouragement for sinners. And you can see that from what was happening when Jesus said this. What was the context? Well, he was having dinner with tax collectors. Hated people because they worked for the enemy. Hated people because they were known to be cheats who lied and abused their power to get money out of people. And understandably, the religious leaders don't like Jesus having dinner with them. And here in verse 17 is Jesus' defence of himself. 
And it's very important for us how he defended himself. You see, he, he could have said this and it would have sounded rather nice if Jesus had said, look, you've misunderstood these people. They're really not too bad. If only you'd get to know them a bit, they're quite likeable people. And that would sound pretty nice. But Jesus' defence is not that. It's they are sinners. And their sin is so ingrained into them and has got such a hold of them. It's like an illness throughout their body, right to their heart. But I'm the doctor. Come to deal with that illness. Now, that doesn't sound as nice as the first option that I gave. It might sound nicer to say, look, they're not so bad, really. But it's good news that Jesus didn't say that. Let's have a think. What might go? Try to imagine you're a tax collector there at that dinner and you've heard Jesus getting some flack for eating with you. And you've heard Jesus defense and you've heard him say, "Ah, they're not so bad, really. If only you got to know these people, they're quite likable. What might be going through your mind, Mr. or Mrs. Tax Collector? Well, mightn't it be this? But I am that bad. I've been a really nasty cheat. I've been a greedy swindler. Now, if Jesus thinks I'm not that bad, what if he finds out that I really am that bad? Then he's going to leave me. I'd better keep up a good show and put on a good show to keep Jesus on side. And you'd be pushed towards the virtue signalling that most religion and society pushes us towards. It's good news that Jesus doesn't just put a positive spin on us. Now, I said that about the tax collector. I said, imagine you're the tax collector. But you don't need to imagine you're the tax collector, do you? Can't you instead think about yourself? If Jesus had defended mixing with sinners on the basis that they're not that bad, really, if only you get to understand them, you'll see what they're up to. Would it leave you feeling insecure? What if Jesus knew what I was really like? Are there things about you that you're glad no one else knows? I'm sure we've all got that, haven't we? Are there desires you have that you're very glad are secret? Very deep. Are there attitudes and thoughts that sometimes when you stop and think, you, you, you feel bad that you've had them? Are there habits and patterns of behaviour that are symptoms of an illness of the heart? Jesus' words in chapter 2, verse 17, aren't to tell you, beat yourself up about that. Go on, feel bad about that. They're to tell you, good news, I'm the doctor who came exactly for people like you. That's good news. Let's think about actually going to a doctor. Imagine you've got a lump that's grown on your neck and you've been losing a lot of weight and you go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't seem to take much notice of that. The doctor cheerily says, well, that's great. You're not obese. And I can see that your legs are walking. I watched as you walked into the room. You seem to be fine. And your hair isn't falling out. Are you pleased with the doctor? He's been really good at emphasizing the positive. What a positive person. No, you want a doctor who will diagnose and deal with the problem. And the good news is Jesus is that doctor. He didn't come to just put a positive spin on what we're like. He came to face it 
and deal with it? Well, there's a very simple response to that, isn't there? We've got the illness. Jesus is the doctor. What's the obvious response? If you're ill and you hear there's a decent doctor in town, what's the response? Get to the doctor quickly. In other words, ask Jesus to deal with your sin. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, change me. Simple, isn't it? You get to the doctor. Don't wait until you've managed to improve yourself. I just keep sinning that sin. I just keep doing it. I'll go to Jesus when I've managed to deal with that sin that I just keep falling for. Well, that's like I'll go to the doctor when I've made myself better. No one does that, do they? Or I've had this one. Well, I need to get more knowledgeable about the Bible first. Do you wait to go to the doctor until you've read the Medics University textbook? Don't get to the doctor. Or I've heard this one, but, but I'm not the right type of person. I'm not the right type of person. I don't fit in at church. I'm not the right type of person. Jesus is not a Harley Street doctor. Do you know who the Harley Street doctors are? They're the exclusive ones. You need a lot of money and you need to be the right type of person to go there. No, Jesus is the doctor who came for cheating tax collectors. And poor blind beggars, the insiders and the outsiders, get to the doctor now. This verse is not a beat you up verse, it's a good news for sinners verse. But it's also, secondly, good news for the self-righteous. Good news for the self-righteous. Jesus is saying in verse 17, I've come to call sinners, not the people who think they're righteous. Now, where's the good news for the self-righteous there? Well, I'll come to that in a minute. You've got to allow me to take a few minutes to get to that. Let's think about, to help get there, the difference between a doctor at the surgery and a personal trainer at the gym. The difference between a doctor at the surgery and a personal trainer at the gym. Now, I imagine, and I can only imagine because I don't go there myself, At the gym, there are a lot of big egos. If you go to the gym, by the way, I'm not getting at you. I'm thinking of like Gold's Gym in California where Arnold Schwarzenegger and the bodybuilders go. But I suspect they've all got an element, or most have got an element of this. There's a a lot of big egos there. And there's people strutting around, showing their muscles, and in clothes that show off their good figure. And there's people showing what big weights they can lift. That's how what I imagine a gym to be like. In other words, it's basically fit and healthy people. But they've got a personal trainer to help them improve. Contrast that with a doctor's surgery. I don't think in a doctor's surgery you strut around showing what big muscles you've got and how fit and healthy you are. You've gone there because you're ill. And you need not a personal trainer to improve you a bit, but a doctor to heal you. Now... That contrast is very significant for us because it says the church is not a place for people who just need a personal trainer. The church is a place for people who need a doctor. It says the church is not a place for strutting around big egos. The church is a place for people who are ill spiritually and admit, in other words, admit our sins. And yet, fellow Christians, 
Don't we still often do such a lot of virtue signalling? And we often do such a lot of virtue signaling, even in church, even in the doctor's surgery still. We're acting as if we're in the gym, just needing a personal trainer so often. Aren't there still so many things we say to try to show we're righteous? Aren't there still so many things that we do where we're trying to signal I'm a spiritually healthy person? Do you find reasons to think of yourself as better than those people or those people or superior to these people? Can't we even do this? Sometimes use our prayers as displays of our spirituality or our knowledge of the Bible. Instead of our prayers being expressions to the doctor of how broken and needy we are, which is exactly what prayer should be. Expressions to the doctor of how broken and needy we are. Now, uh, this is probably sounding more like a rebuke than good news. I said good news for the self-righteous. It's sounding more like a rebuke to the self-righteous. Well, I think it's both. Yes, it is a rebuke that we need. Well, I need. But I'm also finding it good news. Because I need the rebuke, I'm also finding it good news. Because Jesus' words say to me, you can let go of that pretense and show. And I find that good news. Because keeping up the pretense and show is quite wearing. It's not fun keeping up that pretense and show and wondering what people are thinking of you. And so it is good news that keeping up the virtue signalling is both useless but unnecessary. Because we're in a doctor's surgery full of ill people, not having to prove ourselves in a bodybuilder's gym. There is, of course, a severe warning here that I mustn't avoid giving. Because Jesus does say in verse 17, I have not come to call the righteous. Jesus has not come for you if you keep insisting you're righteous. If if you keep insisting there's nothing wrong with you, Jesus today looks on you with sadness and says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When he comes back, he will look on you with anger and say, depart from me, depart to go to the punishment that is suitable for stubborn sinners who persist in their ways. So there is a warning here, and we need the warning. We often need warnings in ordinary life, don't we? The NHS spends millions on adverts telling you to get to the doctors. It spends millions on adverts saying, if you're a woman, get a smear test. If you're a man above a certain age, get your prostate checked. Why? Because often people, they ignore symptoms. They presume it's okay. It's just something they don't want to deal with and face up to. And they don't go to the doctor until it's too late. And sometimes they die. Don't leave it too late to face up to your sin, to let go of your pretense and to get to the doctor. I need to say a bit more about how we get to Jesus, the doctor, because... Well, with the NHS, you all know, don't you? You turn up to your surgery, you book an appointment, hopefully you know the method, even if you might have to wait a long time on a phone queue. How do we do it with Jesus, the doctor? 
Well, let's have another example. Because it's so easy to think you've got to Jesus, the doctor, but you haven't really. Imagine you're a heavy smoker and you've got the health problems to match it. And you've, you know that because you've read about them and you've looked into it and you know you need to stop. And so you make an appointment and you turn up to the doctor's surgery and you read the leaflets and you sit there in the waiting room and you see up on the screen comes Mrs. X, go to room one. And up on the screen comes Mr. Y, go to room five. And then up on the screen comes your name. So you think, no, I won't go. And you walk out of the doctor's surgery. Because you don't want to give up your smoking. That's silly, isn't it? But it's very easy to be like that. You can come to church. You can know the Bible. You can enjoy singing hymns. You can even pray prayers and mean them. God, please help me in this area. Please deal with that. You can pray for other people and really want God to help them. And do it all without coming to Jesus as your doctor. You're like someone sitting in the waiting room. You can do it without opening up to Jesus about what your sins are and what needs forgiveness and what needs to change. You can pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. But without ever admitting to Jesus exactly what those sins are and asking him to deal with them. It's easy to sit in the doctor's waiting room and not actually ever get to the doctor, Jesus. Maybe it's because deep down you don't want to let go of those sins. You don't want that change. But he's the doctor who knows what's best for us. Trust him. Speak to him. Be open with him. Admit those sins to him and ask him to deal with them. Get to Jesus, the doctor. Well, if you've got a notice sheet, I don't know how many people these days follow those notes on the notice sheet. It's got a third section, good news from Jesus. And I, I wanted to actually go through some things to persuade you that uh, that this really is good news. But I think I'm just going to have to scan through them quickly because there are three things. So I'll just scan through them quickly. Three things that Jesus does for these sinners who get to him just to try to persuade you it's good news. What does Jesus do for sinners in verse 17? There's a little word it says he does. A little word that Jesus does for sinners. He calls them. There's so much in this word. You know, what you label yourself as really has a big effect on you. There are loads of people of a generation above mine who they've labelled themselves as a failure because they failed their 11 plus. You know the exam for getting into grammar school. And they continually labelled themselves as failure. There's all sorts of labels you can give yourself, good or bad, that really shape what you think you are. Sometimes look through the New Testament and see what it labels Christians as. It hardly ever labels them as Christians. It's only about three times. But very often it calls them the called. People who've been called by God. And when you get hold of that, it's really good for your identity. Jesus wanted me and he personally called me to himself. He wanted me and his word came with power to bring me to himself. Wow, that's good news because it's personal. 
Jesus called me. But there's a, I said, I'm just quickly rushing through these now. What did he call you to? What did he call you to? Well, it's quite straightforward if you look again at the context, because Jesus has just called someone back in verse 14. Can you see what he called someone to do back in verse 14? There was a tax collector. Jesus saw him. He wanted him. His word personally came to him and called him to what? Follow me. Called him to follow. In other words, the call of Jesus isn't a call to stay in your illness, but to go to Jesus, the doctor, and follow his prescription for life. Notice, again, it's not sort yourself out so you can turn to Jesus. No, he's the doctor. It's turn to him, but then don't stay in your sin. You follow him. He's calling you to leave the old lifestyle of sin and follow a lifestyle of obedience to him. This is good news. It's personal from Jesus. It brings a change in life. Follow him. But there's something else he's calling you to. It's not just to do something. It's also to experience something. Again, look at the context. What was Jesus doing that was getting him criticised? What was he defending himself for? For eating with sinners. Why, why did that cause trouble? Well, because eating with sinners didn't just mean you're in a motorway service station and they happen to be at the other side of the same McDonald's as you. Eating with sinners in that context was something big. It was a sign of acceptance and friendship. It was an expression of closeness and care. And Jesus eating with sinners was all of those things. He's saying, these are the people I want to spend time with and I want to know. That's why we read Revelation 3. Uh, Do you wonder sometimes with the readings, why are we reading this one? Revelation 3 is an amazing example of this verse. Because there was a church full of sinners who were really pleased with themselves. They were self-righteous. Did you notice that Jesus says to them, you think you're rich and you think you're good and you're pitiful. And yet he said what to them? I stand at the door and knock, wanting to do what? I want to come in and eat with you. I still want to know you. And spend time with you. It's amazing. At the beginning he says, you make me feel sick. And then he says, but I want to eat with you. What a saviour. And it's all a picture of closeness with Jesus. Friendship with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. It's the same message as Mark 2 verse 17. Drop your pretense and pride and come in and get to know me. And it's all a pointer to eating with Jesus in a better place, in a better way. Because the Bible pictures heaven as the marriage feast of the Lamb, with Jesus as his friend, accepted by him, getting to know him. In a world of always feeling the need to prove ourselves, do you feel that need? In a world where there's so much virtue signalling, showing in different ways what a good person I am. It's such a relief and welcome news that Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus shows us what you are like. He's the image of the invisible God. And he shows you to be so loving, so welcoming, so kind. So may just getting hold of how good he is, how ready to welcome he is, sink deep into us so that none of us stay away from his welcome. And so that those of us who have received his welcome, let go of all pretense and show and just rest in the welcome of the Lord Jesus and enjoy fellowship with him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to be having the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is supposed to reflect that meal that Jesus had with tax collectors, because it's supposed to be eating together with the Lord Jesus. And those who are unworthy are welcomed in by him. It's also supposed to be a point of fall to feasting with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that means it's supposed to be joyful, not sorrowful. It's supposed to be together, not turned in on ourselves and just our thoughts about Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. No, it's not that. I think it's supposed to also, it also means it's supposed to be a meal together, not just a ritual. But some of those things are rather, um, would involve a radical change that we wouldn't manage this morning. So we're going to try to edge towards them a bit get a little bit of that by surrounding the Lord's Supper with a couple of joyful songs, and then afterwards, hopefully, it will still be dry and we'll go outside and talk to each other. So that's that's uh, what we're going to be doing. But first, let me read you a couple of verses from Luke and 1 Corinthians. It'll be very familiar, but spot the connection. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Again, sorry, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Very familiar, but notice there they are, they're around the table, having a meal together. And Jesus points forward, he says, this is pointing forward to it all being fulfilled in the kingdom of God, when we eat together in perfect fellowship. And then 1 Corinthians 11 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until... He comes. We do it all looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing and then eat and drink together. Let's pray first. Father, thank you. The Lord Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them.
Thank you, he puts no condition about how much we've managed to improve ourselves on whether our sins have not been too bad. But just that we let go of our self-righteousness and turn to him, admitting our need. And Father, thank you. One day he'll welcome us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, not as minor guests, but as the bride, the bride he loved and he gave himself up for her to make her holy. So, Father, thank you. Cleansed by the Lord Jesus, we can come and eat and drink together with him. And so may we now give a little pointer back to his death that cleansed us and forward to his return when we'll be with him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.